See if Herc was reacting to my clapping. Uh. He's uh, he's in the room and he's on a eating his own feet binge. So you may hear. He still does that, huh? Yeah. Have you ever figured out why? Is it because he did? Did he learn it from you? <laughs> well, actually, I do do that. I chew yeah. my fingers. Um, it's probably allergies, but treating Aww. a dog for allergies is incredibly expensive. So instead, I just shout at him. <laughs> you'll, you'll make a great father someday. <laughs> this is going to be... Have you ever... Drink, so I just made a coffee this morning because this is an early morning recording. Um, it's, it's after nine. It's after nine. Yeah, early morning. That's what I said. There's like two types of WAP episodes of What on Politics episodes. There's oh. beer episodes and there's coffee episodes. <laughs> have you ever know? Have you ever thought about that? No, it's a good insight because we always drink something, and it's it's but it's always just one of those two. And with beer episodes, I find I'm a little looser, and I feel like I have license to be bad at stuff or be wrong or speak over you, whatever. But now <laughs> when I'm drinking, but when I'm drinking coffee, I feel like I don't have that license. Cause like, That's this, interesting. Is the, this is the fuel of the enlightenment, right? So there's also something related to the topic that at hand, I guess, like at work, that's a drinking mm, coffee situation. Yeah. So when but, you're working, maybe it's a way to placate you because you're like, oh, drink that coffee and shut the fuck up. Oh. Don't talk over your superiors, so to are speak. You, are you my superior? In this, in this context, it appears to be. It sounds like you're afraid of me unless you have a beer in your hand. <laughs> this is awkward. Theme music to distract us. The best days, though, were when you would combine all of them. Oh, we've talked about yeah that. Yeah, I just didn't know what the balance was. I, dear, I was so reckless those early days. Do you remember, like, I had a really nice bottle of... I did a... This is back when I was in San Francisco, and I did a project for someone at work. And this is the other thing. I used to record in our downtown San Francisco office because I had not, roommates. Not what on politics, downtown San Francisco office. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> no, the company I was working in at the time, their downtown San Francisco office, uh, because my home uh, environment, it was like there was wooden floors. It was just like not a good place to record. So I would go down to the downtown office. Um, but because of the time difference, you being in Dublin, it would always be the morning for me or like early afternoon. Mm. But back then, I don't know, our brand back then was like, oh, we'll just like, you know, have a beer to chat. And that was like the brand. And you know me, I'm a slave to a good brand, Steve. So I was very keen on preserving that. So I would end up just like picking up alcohol on a Saturday morning and walking into my office, <laughs> which was empty. No one saw it. And having a drink and while chatting politics with you. After having but then a coffee I, but then I would end, and usually end up, like eating a little yogurt or something. I'd have a pot of yogurt, I'd have my alcohol, and then I'd have an emergency coffee for afterwards. Because what would happen was, would be... I'd It'd be I'd, lit. Yeah, you'd we, you'd finish the fucking episode, and you'd it'd be your Saturday night or whatever, and you'd hit the town or whatever it is you did over there, and then. But I would be left. Okay, it's half past noon on a Saturday. <laughs> what? And I'm buzzed, and I need to get home. <laughs> so I, I bounce that out with lots of coffee, and was, those are dark days. I think I knocked a good two and a half years off my life, probably with the back and forth. <laughs> But that's off the end. Those are the bad years. Yeah, don't worry about that. 
Yeah, that's future. Although I feel problem. like I feel like I'm getting older. Like I'm now. I presume we're, you are. I know. <laughs> the Benjamin Button thing really cleared up. No, the, uh, the um, it's kind of related to what we're talking about now. But working from home and me in this last few weeks working from Ireland, I've just been going on lots of countryside walks, and I feel like I'm a retiree. <laughs> Yesterday, last last night, I went on a walk with Kate, and I literally said, "Oh, what did I say? Oh, it's berry season. Oh, it's berry picking season." <laughs> Because the blackberries are starting to um, come to fruit on the the, the hedges, the hedgerows. And uh, I literally said, oh, berry picking season. And then I stopped <laughs> because that's what old men say. And then you started to think about what kind of delicious jams you could make from it. Preserves oh, for the I winter actually, ahead. I could actually. As opposed to like if it was a couple of years ago and you were a young rebel rogue, Richie. Mm. You would have been like, what kind of alcohol could I distill out of these? How could I ferment this and get fucked up on it? When there we were when we were in junior, when we were in junior infants, there was a little field <laughs> next to our playground, next to the playground. And I used our, to ferment so many things. <laughs> I just get so fucked up. Now our teacher took us down one time to pick berries, and uh, I was so excited by it. I stuck them all in the pocket of my uniform, and I was like, "Just more berries, more berries, more berries." And I got home, and then I was like, "Look, man, look at all that!" Oh no! And they got <laughs> basically turned to mush and jam in my pocket, and I was so shocked because who could have seen this happen? <laughs> Putting soft berries in the pocket and then I mean, not being... Scientists are still trying to figure out how that happened. Yeah, no one knows how to transport berries. We're still working on it. A jam has to be made there and then. Yeah, in the fields. In your pockets. So Steve, what is this show? What is what is what I'm... Uh, we talk about politics. And jam. Apparently. And, and jam. jam. Politics jam cast. Mm. So tangy. Maybe, so tired. Maybe it's like a jam donut where... Like the politics is a doughy stuff on the outside of it, but you and me were the jam on the inside. No, I think the politics is the jam on the inside and everyone has to get through all that sweet, sugary nonsense before they get to it. (laughs) Before they get to the other other sweet, sugary nonsense. Yeah, they have to get through the doughy nonsense. Doughy, heavy, (laughs) starchy, (laughs) filling nonsense. Definitely not good for you. Not good for you and makes you you feel disgusting when you're done. You just feel gross. That's so that's what, what we is. are for you. That's what we are. You're welcome. <laughs> oh God. Oh yeah. We so again. I gotta keep introing this for a while, just in case there's people, new listeners jumping on or off, or whatever. But we're replacing our news section with bye uh, news. Bye goodbye news. Nothing happens anymore anyway. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, exactly. With uh, oh, did you hear that? No. Did you hear the timer, Steve. Oh, oh, it's ready. Ding. Richie's smoking hot. No, you don't need to ding. I add that. In, I add that sound effect in afterwards. I, yeah, I did notice that yeah. last time, but I forgot. Yeah, my my steaming hot batch of hot takes, fresh out of the oven. There's only ding, one ding. this time. There's only one this time. I'm not even fully sure if it's a hot take. I'm still not clear what a hot what qualifies a hot take. But we'll give it a go because I feel like this is probably something that everyone's talking about. But but I'm going to talk about it. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, a hot take doesn't have to be original. It, it's it's your hot take. The, what makes it hot is that it's your take. Right, okay. Well, that that, that would imply it's original, right? Mm. Uh, no, the evidence that what most people call hot takes proves against that. So we're just, <laughs> <That's very good laughs> we're point. following with the norm. Yeah, very good point. So you saw um, at the Republican National Convention, Trump talking about a vaccine. Sure. And he said that... Uh, that one will be ready very soon, uh, maybe even by October. It's in Richie's pockets. He picked it off the berries. He's walking around <laughs> fermenting it. But yes. We just need to ferment it. We just need to give it enough time to mature in his pockets. 
but yeah, and like the motivation for that clearly is him saying that it's clearly the election, uh-huh. right? Like, which is in early, what, November 3rd? Something like early, that. Early, early November, first, anyway. First Thursday of November. Yeah. And so if Trump could be the president who, you know, heralds in a vaccine that works and that could only be good for him. Um, but the problem is that he is seems to be overly promising given how long it usually takes to properly test and go through all the various phases and trials to make sure that a vaccine is safe. And he seems to be somewhat ignoring those. Mm. Um, his, the chief advisor for the White House vaccine program, I'm probably going to butcher the name, Monsef Slawi, probably butchering that. But anyway, he said that it's extremely unlikely, extremely unlikely that they would have a vaccine by then, uh, but not impossible. But they've already started kind of prepping the infrastructure to you know, get ready to pass out vaccines if they do get made. I'm concerned on a few levels and my, okay, the hot take part of it is that this is clearly motivated by politics as opposed to human well-being. Mm-hmm. Because if you release, uh, there's talk of like his administration seeking emergency use, youth authorization to fast track the vaccine. Um, but if you do that and you do it incorrectly, like there's historical evidence of that being devastating. Uh, like actually making a situation worse. Mm. And the idea of um, the the highest office in the land in America and, you know, the biggest superpower in the world, just flagrantly making these um, sweeping announcements um, about the health, basically the health of the world and the health of his nation with a political motivation behind it is eventually just going to completely erode away trust in these kind of statements. You know what I mean? Like your government making a big announcement about something as as important as a vaccine should be kind of sacred and it should be should be divorced from politics. Now, I know these are coming from politicians, but because the nature of it is so serious and so dire right now that it shouldn't be motivated by elections. But I fear that this continued discourse and this continued use and weaponizing of a of a vaccine I shouldn't say weaponizing of a vaccine. You know what I mean? Political weaponizing of a vaccine yeah. to try and further uh, agendas is just going to erode away public trust in and and lead to more kind of conspiracy theories around vaccines and more conspiracy theory distrust around um, institutions. And I think it's overall quite unhealthy. And yes. it's also worth pointing out that um, if Trump was to rush through a vaccine, if he was to... Um, flex the emergency use youth author use authorization that he was talking about um there's like like i said there's historical evidence or just historical precedent of this happening before with was a gerald ford um rushed in a, similarly in an election year in the 70s rushed out a vaccine for swine flu because it was like a similar strain from the one in the that that killed like millions and millions of people um in like 1918 but he rushed out a vaccine and it ended up killing people and it ended up paralyzing people and it was just it hadn't been tested properly and it hadn't been properly vetted and so i worry about something similar like that i'm not saying the same scale of thing will happen but i just worry about just the the nature of rushing through for political gain something as important as a vaccine and how detrimental that will be to i guess public trust you know conceptually but then also the actual physical horrible results that could happen think we can chalk this up to trump being a fucking shit yet again yeah like is it can you in your expert opinion can you 
recall any other, like not, not vaccines, but other kind of humanitarian crises that were used for political gain in a similar um, kind of way? Everything is political, if you know what I mean. But like you're asking, yeah. can I think of something that someone abused to win an election? Yeah. Um, it doesn't come to mind. It's not in this, not in that exact context, but like, yeah. There's war, I suppose, is the closest one. Margaret Thatcher probably attacked yeah. Argentina in the Falklands to win elections. Um, and it worked. There's George W. Bush reacting as hard as he did and conquering all them countries. Probably helped him get reelected. And uh, Yeah, war I, would be the closest I think, one. I can't think yeah. of a specific... I guess that Gerald Foreman, I didn't know about that one, actually. But I, yeah, had, yeah, heard, I, had, it, I had heard about swine flu giving people narcolepsy, but I thought that was from the latest batch. Yeah, it's, you mentioned war, but I think there's like war and politics, there's like a, a built-in skepticism there. Um, but I think maybe... With, it didn't used to be. It's probably right. because people abused it. And I guess that, that speaks to what you're talking about now. This is my fear, is yeah. that like this discontinued kind of discourse and the way it's been handled now will lead to a similar distrust when people start talking, when politicians start talking about big, big health concerns in the future. If, you know, America really poorly handles this particular pandemic, then, you know if the experts are to be believed then this kind of stuff happens is more likely to happen in the future it happens again well then public trust has been eroded in the institutions because well last time it happened you know the the guy running for president fucked us all over because he was trying to get into office so why why would we believe this next person or whatever i think the thing about trump as well is that like he does things so blatantly and obviously that 60% of the of americans and the rest of the world know that he's lying and that he's trying to game us so I don't even know if they're going to take this vaccine Yeah, and I guess the people that are going to take it are going to suffer for it if they do it's also worth pointing out that Putin has already announced and distributed a vaccine and I'm not really sure how that's been going over yeah. in Russia but Wait, like, he's, 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 he's distributed it in like because phase three of trials is to like tens of thousands of people he's distributed that way or yeah. okay well he's announced that like Russia was the first ones to get it and when everyone was like eh, probably not they're like oh well you're just jealous because Russia got it before you did so, yeah, because even even because often vaccines take years. They can that, like the, the most accelerated timelines that I heard were like a year to a year and a half at the most accelerated. Yeah, which were but not near it yet. is worth pointing out that the response to coronavirus is far bigger than any other response yeah. to any other attempt to get a vaccine for a disease before, because of the nature of what it is and how dangerous sure. it is to the economy and making money. So yeah. they are space racing the shit out of this and that's if, yeah that's a good way to put it it is if, like a space race if they do come up with a vaccine quicker than we would have expected to or has been seen before it may not necessarily be because it's a conspiracy and people are trying to win elections it could actually genuinely be that they put the work and the effort at a hyper accelerated uber resource thing but the fact that it's trump that's pushing it is going to make everyone go yeah, it's the fact that he's pushing it, and there's like his ex, his own experts and <laughs> yeah. advisors are like going, whoa, 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 hang on. Like, well, that would that would make me think that in this case, maybe we shouldn't worry so much because Trump can say something at a Republican national convention, and it could be total bullshit, and nobody takes it seriously. He's like, I will release this vaccine before November, and then if the next day the people that work for him who are supposed to be releasing that vaccine he's talking about are like, no, we're not going to do that, it might just be another case of Trump being a president who isn't really a president because he has no power. He can't force mm. these people to bring a vaccine in because the institutions are designed that he, the president can't be the one who goes in and creates it in the lab and sends it out. And there are still <laughs> enough clever, intelligent people in charge in these different parts of the US that are like, no, 
no, we're not, we're not going to do that. Yeah. So unless he does the other Trump thing and fires them and puts, I don't know, the guy who makes his coffee in Trump Tower in charge of <laughs> creating the vaccine and then it gets pushed out. Well, maybe, but... It, it, Barry is our new chief <laughs> medical advisor. <laughs> well, I mean, that kind of happened. I think he like, picked a random guy off Fox <laughs> News lately. So yeah, it's I, I understand your concern and it's absolutely a valid one and it speaks to all the different ways that Trump is degrading trust and respect for institutions and politics and all these different things. And I mean, it's not just Trump. It's been going on for so long. Like people never, people went ballistic about Obama claiming that everything he did was a conspiracy. Now it's been tacked around and now you have the left wing always claiming that everything is a conspiracy as well. So, but I'm still not entirely terrified yet of everything falling apart. Good. Good for you. I'm also won't be surprised if I'm wrong and we all die. <laughs> yeah. Great. What a lovely, what a lovely note to move on from. Uh, should we talk about our sponsor? Yeah. You know them, Steve. You love them. They're basically a regular on the show now. It's the UX Design Institute. Woot woot. Woot woot. Holla. Need to get a sports team for the UX Design Institute and a mascot. I have actually been thinking about UX a few times because I've come across really annoying old websites lately and I'm like, man, they got to do that course. Like what? Like what websites? Oh, I'm not going to name them. Oh, because they're dirty. They're like dirty, <laughs> sinful websites. <laughs> That's fine. We'll move on. Uh, yeah, UX Design Institute. If you're sick of looking at bad websites on the internet, uh, then maybe UX is a, is a place you should go and you can be a help be a part of the solution, not the problem, and design nice, smutty websites for Steve to peruse at his leisure. You see, uh, you said I thought it before, of a comeback now and I'd be like, oh yeah, the ones you told me about, but it's way too late to get that in. It's way too late. Damn. Come on. Come on. That's the name of the website. <laughs> come on, come on. Redeem myself. <laughs> so yeah, U- UX, acronym for user experience. It is the science and art that goes into researching, concepting, and designing. Art! Good, performing. Art, science and art, Steve. You've, it's been around, you've been in Ireland for just long enough. It's back. What? Before, you, when you came back from London, you would have gone, art. Art. Science and all. <laughs> <laughs> art yeah and so the ux design institute it's an entirely online course which is phenomenal these days it's uh and they're built around being an online institute so there's none of this pivoting from real worlds real class environments to trying to how do they put online they have built this from the ground up to be an online platform and an online course and it, it really shows because it's just smooth the whole way the whole way throughout they give you assignments um, that they're all tracked through their portal. There's a Slack channel where you can talk to your um, your classmates and get help on stuff. It's really, really slick and it's really, really professional. And it's university credit rated, so it's got some serious weight behind it. And UX, we've talked about before, like, the you know, the job market is is under a bit of stress lately, but there are still UX roles out there because it is an up-and-coming industry. And people are always looking for good UX designers. So if you're looking to maybe make a pivot, if you've... You know, if you're in the UK and you're furloughed or if you're, you know, looking at a change, a change in career, uh, maybe consider UX and consider UX Design Institute. So if you go to uxdesigninstitute.com forward slash what am, link in the show notes, um, you, they'll sort you out. Do it. Do it. Tell tell them we sent you. Don't don't mention yeah. the websites I looked at. <laughs> I, I designed those. They're terrible. They'll be better uh, so- after the course. They will be better. Um, we have another shout out to give, another advertisement, but this is an internal one, a friendly one. 
We're not being oh, paid for this one. We're doing it because we love our organization that we're a part of. What organization is that, Steve? We are part of the Head Stuff Podcast Hitler Network. Youth. Wait, whoops. <laughs> That's a podcast network. No, you spell it a bit differently. <laughs> uh, yeah, that the, the way Rick O'Shea hops on at the end of every episode and tells people what, what network we're part of. We should mention it more. We are part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network, Ireland's largest podcast network in terms of listeners and awesomeness. Yeah. So and Raw sex appeal. Pure sex appeal. We, Very hard to quantify, but I'm pretty sure. I mean, you just count. How, do they count the sexy? Just count the sexy. Just count. Just one sexy? Two All sexy? All the way up to 69. <laughs> After that, it's 69 plus one, 69 plus two, and then you get to two 69s. Anyway, two 69s. I got to get back to that website. Um, I would, hold on, come on. I, We'll get back to the to, to, to heads of how great they are now. But I once knew someone, and I won't say who, because it's this is a very incriminating thing. Really? But yeah, well, not <laughs> no, no, hold on. He he was. He, I had to like do something for him. He's like, okay, you know, you'll need my passcode for that. And then I was like, oh, okay, could you want to give it to me? And he went, yeah, it's um, uh, sixty nine oh two. And if you need help remembering it, sixty nine is what I like to do, and two is the number of times I like to do it. <laughs> That was his mnemonic device for remembering his pin code. <laughs> You're like, hey, baby, will we go again? No, um, no, I've I've had two. That's that's me done. No more. Gotta wait till tomorrow. I completely forgot about that. That was Rudy. Heads that was definitely Rudy. That was not Rudy. No, it wasn't Rudy. It wasn't Rudy. Oh God! Yeah. So anyway, head stuff. Head stuff. Yes, um, we were the podcast extraordinaire at the start of this new campaign to try and get people to listen to the other shows. Um, Fireside mm-hmm. was there in the break that we took. The podcast of the moment at the moment is basically with Stephanie Preisner, and here is an ad. My name is Stephanie Preisner, and my podcast is called Basically with Stephanie Preisner, and I have guests on every week who explain things to me because they're experts and I'm not. We've had people like Pascal Donoghue, the Minister for Finance, explain what it's like to be the Minister for Finance. We've had on Taoiseach, Micheál Martin, explain what it's like to be Taoiseach. Luke O'Neill explained coronavirus. Uh, a nurse explaining what it's like to get coronavirus. And then loads of things that aren't related to coronavirus at all at all, like politics and being a child actor. If you like finding out about things, listen to Basically with Stephanie Preisner. This is where you play the ad. Do, 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 do. I just played a what I'm politics ad. <laughs> basically, that's a new show on the network, right? Um, it feels Relative like a new, new show because 2020 didn't really happen, but it did start way back at the, at the start of the year. Maybe even last you, year. Yeah. But Would yeah. you, if given the opportunity, just say like the UN announced, okay, we're going to do 2020 again. And we're just going to ignore this for like the history, like everything... <laughs> Like we got instead of going straight into twenty twenty one, we just set everything back here, kind of like daylight savings, but on a on a gigantic scale. Oh wow! And we set everything back. What an idea! And we go, okay, twenty twenty, and then we try and make it okay. <laughs> Would you be up with that? No. If anything, okay. I'd like to jump to twenty twenty two. Just put some distance. <laughs> just get to get this fucking thing out of here. I'd like to completely move away from a number based system and just go to like okay, it's just year of the dog or year of the. And we don't even give it numbers anymore. Because that way we can assign cute animals to the year. Pretty sure 
a particular civilization that may yeah and i say we should all do that and get rid of humanity have already come up with that idea yeah that's i say we i'm telling the chinese we stole their idea stop telling the stop i really wish you'd stop telling the chinese on me i'm gonna tell you the chinese on you they're all powerful you're doomed now (laughs) do we ever talk about um my greatest fear or should we save that because i feel like we've been rambling a lot my greatest childhood fear the pogo sticks no, that's your no, greatest achievement. That's, that's my greatest childhood achievement. No, I remember in like first class in primary school. This is the second um, time you've referenced being a child. You're very whimsical with your morning coffee. I am. I'm b- back at home. I'm just very nostalgic. Uh, he's sitting in his, I, his playhouse. He's got his nappy on. He's just... <laughs> what, could, <laughs> what childhood? You just putting a baby with a nappy in a playhouse and leaving them. I get we've established anyway, I shouldn't let have me kids. talk about my let me talk about my fear so back when I was in first class is your fear being interrupted school, that's oh terrifying uh but a teacher was trying to explain like population to us like just how many people there were uh and he said that if all of the people if there were so many people in China that if they all jumped up and down at the same time it would cause a big wave you have talked about would, this before have I talked about this before? Okay, yeah. And it would go across and it would like hit our country. And I was terrified of China for for ages. Um, that like, they, if they de- this decided is, to, to, to wipe out Ireland, they all just had to jump up and down. Richie, your fear was entirely founded. There there have been revelations about Project Hop. That <laughs> Project Pogo. Project Pogo. Every Why do you think I got into Pogo sticks? Every Chinese person on their mobile device there is a secret app that'll pop up and it'll just say jump whenever they're ready to finally start World War Three. That's how it'll begin. This, the, the, you know those, um, the klaxons, like the sirens, the air raid sirens yeah. come on, but instead of sirens, it's like, din, 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 bang! There goes India. Anyway, what are we going to talk about this week, No, I'm not done with this. You know the way United States of America have an obesity problem, probably. I don't know, actually, if it's probably just as prevalent in other places like China, but maybe Americans being bigger Mm. will allow them to be able to respond. Yeah. So maybe there's a corresponding siren that goes off. That's also... And then the two tidal waves collide over the Pacific. And then they just meet and cancel each other out. That, wow. uh, and that's that's a deterrent. <laughs> you taught me that. Yeah, exactly. That's a mutually assured destruction. Yeah. Well, there you go. I think episode over. <laughs> we don't need to talk about anything else. We got it. <laughs> what are we going to talk about? I thought these things? episodes are supposed to be more serious because we're drinking coffee. Oh, I guess. I'm completely destroying my theory. Oh, now I've got all self-conscious again because <laughs> I forgot I'm not drunk. <laughs> mm. We're supposed to be talking about work. Yeah, oh, this is supposed to be a fun podcast. This is a Saturday, I don't want to work. Oh, I moved to yeah. a four-day week. Did you? Yeah. How is it? I haven't started yet. Yesterday was the last Friday I'm going to work for at least three months. Ooh, four-day work week, man, that's the dream. Mm. That should be the new system. Five-day work week's bullshit. I mean, a lot of people have the opportunity to do it. You just have to get less money. True. But I like money. Yeah, I want to work less, get paid more. Is that so much to ask? Fuck. <laughs> I actually, um, I was picked, like the, the Central Statistics Office of Ireland do surveys where they call you up. And so I was on one where they would call me up every three months to ask me about my present working situation. And the question mm. they always asked would, would you work less hours 
in exchange for more money. I was like, well, yes. No, <laughs> statistics office, no. <laughs> Would you work less hours for less money? Well, the answer is yes. <laughs> fair. That's a fair question. But why Why are we talking about work now, Steve? Oh, because working has changed and stuff. I forgot the exact reason why we're talking about this. Yeah. We had, we <laughs> oh, had, God, why are we, why are we talking about this? Who gives a <laughs> shit? It's a Saturday. Relax. Let's just yeah. talk about beer. Um, mm. Working has changed an awful lot lately and probably will change more in the future. Not just it because has. of coronavirus, but also mostly because of coronavirus. <laughs> Not just because of coronavirus, but yes, just because of coronavirus. <laughs> for the, yeah, for, it's it's the most recent catalyst, I guess. It's accelerating a lot of the changes that we're, we're going to talk about. Yeah. So you went um, off and looked up the etymology of the word. Well, look up is a very strong <laughs> word. I was asked your so, dad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so whenever we, we prep for these episodes, when I can, I like to chuck a few kind of suggestions and questions and stuff at Steve. And one of them was, oh, it'd be nice to like look at where the word work came from. And I just Googled etymology of the word work. And I got like the old E English, old with an E, old English version of work. Weork. We orc. Orc. <laughs> we, it's just we orc. <laughs> and that's about as far as I got. I didn't go down and... I didn't go down this particular rabbit hole. I just walked by, looked, and went, oh, there's a rabbit hole. And I just walked past it. When you said we orc, and I was watching a TV show that referenced we work last night. And now all I can think is that's what happened to all Tolkien's orcs after the war. They went off yeah, and they, set up like uh, working areas that people could come and rent spaces. We orc. Yeah, they worked in like a subscription-based co-working yeah. tech company. Well, yeah, because they lost Sar- Sauron, their like central organizers, so then they were free sure. to go off and set up entrepreneurs. Well, that's the thing. You need to, yeah, you need to kind of diversify and spread out. That's WeWork's whole business model. And then the orcs yeah. have turned into the ruling class now, and that's why everything is shit. God. Episode over. I'm going to say this so many times. We've, so many revelations. We've done it. We've done it. But that's it. I, I, did, I, I just thought it was funny. We York. <laughs> like, oh, I'm off to We York. We York. I'm We Orking from home. Apparently, that, that was it. Apparently, like English back in the whenever 14th century was very similar to Dutch, and like a Dutch person and an English person could talk to the same way. That's not the same really? anymore, though. No. Unless it is. And that's no, why Dutch languages. people speak English so well. And we, we're just too lazy. No, it's de- yeah, it's definitely that, not because we're too lazy. Oh, okay, to learn other languages. Uh, but yeah, uh, so that that's it on the etymology. Okay, <laughs> nice little rabbit hole. Move on. You you have an anecdote um, from from Michael D. Yeah, patron saint of the podcast. Yeah, Michael D. Higgins, president of Ireland. Uh, when I was doing my college course, we were invited to some talky thing about the future of work and stuff. And there was loads mm. of academics talking really smart stuff. And then the president showed up and he talked loads of smart stuff. And I mean, like, my eyes were glazed. I couldn't concentrate because it was too heavy and deep and complicated. Mm. But then afterwards, he went out and mingled with the crowd. I'm like, oh, he's going to do the politician thing where he like, oh, how are you? How are you getting on? How's your how's your father's mother? But then, no, he goes, oh, hello. Uh, of course, the most interesting thing I find is the difference between the platonic nature of work versus the Aristotelian nature of labour. And then looked at us for reactions and input. What did you say? I kind of had to resist just picking my nose and flicking it at him. I, I, didn't, <laughs> I couldn't really think of anything. I was like, ah, yeah. <laughs> I'm Steve. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it works hard, man. <laughs> so what did he mean by platonic nature Working of labour versus Aristotelian nature of labor uh 
I don't really know. I still don't know. I've been try- <laughs> You've I've been try- put this down as a segue to teach me. I've been trying to look it up to try and tr- figure it out. And I found like philosophical essays and shit. And I've just had the same response. Just in my head. I just feel ashamed and bummed out that I couldn't connect with the president of Ireland. <laughs> oh, this is a problem. We can't, we can't connect on his level. Like we can't. So let's pare it back a little bit and let's get down to our level. Okay. Significantly lower. Yeah. And like, okay, so for the purposes of this episode, when we say work or we orc, uh, what are we talking about? Platonic nature and Aristotelian nature, blah, blah, aside, what are we talking about when we say we orc? We're talking about getting paid for doing shit. Nice. Like that. Love that. Yeah. That hustle, that grind. Rise yeah. and grind, Steve. Yeah. Yeah. But not even hustling, more like the kind where you turn up at agreed times and get money put into your bank account once a month. Right. But yeah, we'll talk about the other kinds as well. That's that's the main one. <laughs> right. Chasing that paper. I get you. So work, is this just for poor people? Yeah. Because we need money. <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting one because I was been reading some novels set in the old days and like the guys going around moving paper and doing all the organizational work, which makes up most people's work in the Western world these days. That wasn't considered <laughs> work back then. That was service, which was different. And they almost, they didn't really get paid for it either. They would like, they would have to make their money on the side by being corrupt. (laughs) And then, but like the laborers, the people in the field, the people in, in guilds and doing manual labor and that kind of stuff, that was work. Right. But the other people were doing service. But that's not, that's not how it is, unless it is how it is these days. I mean, we have the different color systems for describing. Yeah the different types of work and they all seem to fall under or like whether you're a blue collar worker or a white collar worker. So I feel like now that was very clear and easy to understand when you're looking back at like the post-World War II era. So you had blue collar workers were people that would like, I guess the the overalls were the blue collars that they were wearing and they were in a factory or they were in a garage and they were lifting stuff and fixing things. It could have involved technical intelligent knowledge of whatever they were doing, but it didn't necessarily have to. You could just be lifting shit. Right. And that was a blue collar worker. And then a white collar worker was someone that had to wear a white shirt to go into the office with a tie and move paper around and do loads of, they'd have like an office and a secretary, madmen basically. Right. That yeah. was a good distinction. Very clear. Yeah. Bank managers, bank workers versus blue collar workers. But now there's also fucking other ones. Yeah. I didn't realize just how many different types of collars there were. It's like every fucking spectrum of the co- of the color system now has its own collar. I, I think... I think I'm a yellow collar. What does that mean? I never, I, I didn't look them up. I wanted to. It means to ex- I don't wash my white collar. <laughs> oh, gross. Like in no. secondary school, wearing the same shirt all week, it'll be yellow at the end. Yeah, no, yellow collar is like creatives, I believe. Why? Why yellow? Because they fucking need a collar that's, that's not chicken the... shit dweebs. <laughs> yeah, people in the creative field. Uh, they may spend time doing both white and color, white and blue color tasks, as well as tasks society. So, photographers, filmmakers, directors, editors, graphic designers. Uh, red collar workers are government workers, like red tape, I guess. Yeah, I guess like red tape. Black collar is kind of like blue collar, but if you get dirty, like an oil rig or coal mine. <laughs> That's stupid. You get dirty in any blue collar job, lifting stuff and stuff. Grey collar worker refers to a balance of employee uh, of employed people not classified as white or blue, so somewhere in between. So kind of like think, uh, wait, security guards, police officers, that kind of thing. Yeah, that can, that does make sense. Uh, green collars is someone who works in environmental sectors. What? 
That's too specific. What about someone that works in a dart station on a Tuesday? Scarlet collar worker is a term often used to refer to people who work in the porno- pornography industry. Why? I nearly said pornography. Okay. Orange collar worker are prison laborers. There's a whole system here. Oh, that's interesting. That's unpaid labor. That's forced labor. Yeah. Yeah. Yellow, and then, yeah, yellow is creative. So, yeah, there's lots of different types of work. Usually, it's pretty easy to understand these things by whipping off, by putting on your big beard and going Marxism. Why is it always Marxism? It's always fucking Marxism. It's always Marxism. Because he came up with a really clever thing that really explained the capitalist system back in the mid-19th century. And we haven't really moved on that much from then. So it's still pretty easy to put things into this into this box. Although mm. I suppose when you look into it deeper, it gets more complicated. But as an easy thing, work is controlled by the people who own things. So the capitalists, they own the stuff mm-hmm. and they exploit the working class people to go in and exchange their time and energy into what's called labor to make mm-hmm. money. And then it's a rig system because by the time you get to, on a working week, by the time you get to Wednesday, they have already given enough time, energy and labor to the capitalist to make up for what they're going to get paid. So everything that the capital the capitalist gets from them on Thursday and Friday is a bonus. Right. Which allows them to further entrench their power and become more powerful and be able to exploit exploit more people. Makes it harder for the little man to climb the ladder. Exactly. Because it's just it. because it's the capitalist person being able to get it. And then I guess And isn't even isn't even the idea of a five day work week that was like a compromise because oh, the yeah. work week was longer than that and that was like Oh yeah. What we got from labor movements. <laughs> Working used to be feckin' terrible. Like before the compromises in the twentieth century, it used to be like six day, six, six, and, a half six days. and a half days, 12 hour shifts. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be taking your five-year-old child to go into work with you and they'd have to do stuff. It was awful. <laughs> Jesus. And Christ. like, yeah, it's not that many generations ago that the majority of people listening to this podcast would have been involved in unless you like come from a genuinely aristocratic, aristocratic family. I'd love if we have at least one listener. <laughs> one hoity-toity. Who's the Earl of Montrose or something like that. We just mentioned that and his monocle fell off into his cup of tea. <laughs> Lol. <laughs> <laughs> Looks at, looked at the portrait of his great-grandfather and winks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Theodore. <laughs> Theodore's a good name. Theodore's a great name. Uh, yeah, so that was like a pretty easy way to understand the nature of work and labor and... But things have gotten so much more complicated. I guess as a whole, it probably still does add up to that. Working people are getting exploited by people who have money, but it's way more complicated and way more confusing. Shall we get into it? Let's do it. (laughs) Cool. So should we talk about, we move on to like modern work. We also skipped a question that I want to reference. Oh, sorry. What did we skip? Uh, You know, it's a Hamilton reference. Why do the Schuyler sisters say work, work, work in their song? Uh, they sing it because they're looking for a mind at work, work. Ah, uh, okay, never mind. Move on. <laughs> I thought they were like looking for jobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're at us. They're on their grind. <laughs> no, I think the, the idea is like they're looking for, like one, they're looking for equality and two, they're looking for a man that's just not a vacuous prick. <laughs> they're looking for a mind at work. Okay. So not Aaron Burr. I think that's it. Not Aaron Burr. Okay. Got it. So, how did we end up with the office dynamic? Like, yeah, that's what I want to know. Uh, like, uh, what did you mean by the office dynamic specifically? So, like, the idea of, you know, 
going into a building where everyone is either a cubicle or open plan or whatever and everyone is in this one place and you have to you know historically dress up a certain way and you have to go in for these certain hours so there's a meeting like all that kind of stuff the mod like because throughout human history that was this is like a very recent occurrence yes and we are also making assumptions here that the majority of people who have to work are working that way if you yeah like just we should actually yeah we should call that couch this whole episode and the fact that we are are kind of like these are our experiences yeah exactly exactly we aren't like you know working in agriculture or, or you know driving a truck yeah driving a truck or whatever yeah we, we this is very much going to be coming from two um what i would like to call refer to us as a soft boys <laughs> um with delicate hands and fingernails that have never seen an ounce of dirt i used to work hard in 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 a kitchen like when i was growing up that was my teenage job working in a restaurant's kitchen and no matter how hard i worked and how many feckin' scalding hot things and cuts i got all the like female co-workers i had be like your hands are so soft I couldn't get hard hands. I tried really hard, yeah. but they just got softer and softer. <laughs> so yes, um, it. I mean, the, how do we end up with the office dynamic? I guess because that's just where the jobs went to. So as tech, like it used to be that all work had to be done manually. The like night, and it was pr- basically producing food. That was the most important thing humanity had to do. We had to go into yeah. fields. We had to organize animals. We had to lift shit to eat. And yeah. as technology started to develop and then develop really, really quickly, less and less did we have to use our muscles to actually get stuff. Yeah. So like as the machines got more advanced and um, people didn't have to work in factories as much. So then there was this big surplus of people who didn't have jobs, but humanity came up with its simultaneously best and worst invention, invention which is bureaucracy. So oh. the the... <laughs> I don't, I wouldn't call it ability, but like the function <laughs> of having people. Function is a strong word. Fu- yes, <laughs> the, the, the drudgery. Function. The word of function implies a degree of function. <laughs> the drudgery and hellscape that is. There we go. Moving yeah. paper around, having meetings, and writing letters yeah. and memos to organize shit is yeah. started to get centralized in offices, and that's where most people ended up. Well, not most people, but like a, a large majority of people ended up working. Like, right. it, yeah, it's like, even if, even, even these days, if somebody is going to work in, in like as a security guard or, or a hospital, you, you'll, you'll ca- colloquially reference, oh, I'm going to the office, yeah. but you're not actually going to an office, but that's just what, right. that's the default. That's the default image of work these days. Yeah. And it was one of the worst mistakes we, humanity ever made. It's all <laughs> like every, yeah. Happened. Well, it, it, yeah, it gave rise to like, um, centralization and like congestion and like horrible all the all the negative sides of like clustering people like incre- like increased like rent and like overly competitive housing markets all that kind of stuff yeah but we're starting to see a bit maybe a little bit at the beginnings of a shift away from that well i guess we'll get, we'll to, that get later. to that later yeah you have a note here about cubicles versus open plan offices uh, this is just a fucking rant of my of mine so you want um, your madman office yeah well just like so th- there's this there's in the early days of offices you, you you can imagine just like a sea of bullpens and just people in like little cubicles and they were often kind of seen as very um, lank and boring and you know soul destroying that kind of thing and then the idea of an open plan office was something that was introduced kind of later i think the first examples were, were in, the, in the late 80s and then it, get, it became very popular with the rise in like tech companies and this idea of 
oh, we're all like just one big family and it's all very, um, there's no hierarchy. Hot everyone desking. Can see everyone. Yeah, exactly. Hot desking. Like I, I've worked in a lot in tech over the last few years and it's a very popular idea of like, oh, you know, you just, you go and you, you, if you see like someone who's eight levels above you, you can just go up and chat to them because there's no offices, there's no bullpens. Everyone's just open plan or yeah, whatever. Yeah, like Zuckerberg um, but, does. Exactly. But that's absolute bullshit. Um, <laughs> it's proven. It's like there's actual evidence that open plan offices um, are less productive because like issues with noise and issues with like everyone being able to see your screen and that often isn't necessarily the best in terms of working on, on your own work, not having that privacy, not having that space to do what you want to do. Um, distractions and also because like open plan offices there weren't this like altruistic endeavor to make everyone collaborative. It's cheaper for the employer to have an open plan office. You can fit more in and you can, it's easier for you to manage um, than having lots of discrete, separate um, close off compartment areas. So it was seen as like a, like, you know, cheaper to do as well from the employer standpoint. So they ended up doing more and more of it. And uh, it's just, I've been in some offices that were just really bad yeah. for, for that kind of stuff. And it was hard to get your work done. And I personally quite enjoyed it when I could work from home. And I could end end up getting more work done, which I think is an anecdotal response that you hear echoed a lot these days about efficiency. But yeah, I just wanted to rant about that because yeah, open up plan offices are often sold when you're like, when companies are doing their recruiting, it's, it's sold as a positive. Oh, we're so collaborative here at plan, but just be wary of that. Yeah. Should we talk about commuting? Sure. I mean, you've touched on already about how like the centralization of all these jobs into cities, well, like you don't have many offices in the middle of nowhere. Exactly. They, They do exist, but they're quite rare. And I guess, yeah. I mean, you can't necessarily blame office jobs as the reason that people have focused on cities. Like that was happening in the factory days and all that as well. Mm. But there was something different that started to happen, I guess, like after, again, World War II, the 50s, the 60s, is that a lot of people that had these office jobs didn't like living in the city centers that they were working in anymore. It was too cramped. It was too noisy. And it was also a bit foreign and black if you lived in America. <laughs> they didn't like that. <laughs> Wait, what? Oh, there was lots of foreigners and black people and they didn't like that. Oh God. So Is that why the suburbs are very white? Exactly. It was called white flight. You had all these oh, um, these high paying, these high paid um, office people basically realizing that they could build, buy, build and buy large houses in the suburbs, uh, like the, the mm. towns and areas outside the major cities. And they basically went out there and they built these little fortresses of whiteness and mm. and homogeneity and they stayed out there and they basically abandoned the city centers so you would have like districts of where the offices were they'll be nice and shiny and then the the residential areas that were in the cities just went to shit because all the taxpayers left the the people who were in charge didn't want to put any resources into making them nice and you just had right. basically ghettos of people that simultaneously couldn't get these nice white collar jobs because they're excluded for education and racial reasons mm-hmm. and then the people who have the power and the money and the the resources don't care, not caring about those those areas, and because they had their own happy little white suburbs that they'd moved out to, and then hop on a train and head into head into the city when they want to work and leave again at five o'clock, not giving a shit about the city that they're working in. Jesus, yeah, yeah. bad times, bad times indeed. And you know, it's not. I mean, specifically. This is most obvious in America, but it did happen everywhere as well. Oh, I mean, like <clears throat> even even today, like like I live in Kildare, and Kildare's county, you know, touching Dublin, and most of Kildare, especially North Kildare, is just amazing. It's an extension of Dublin at this point. It's just all commuter towns. Yes, yeah, most of the counties directly around Dublin feed into Dublin. It's that's just what yeah. it is. You have to get in your car and drive for an hour and a half, and then go to work, and then drive back, which is awful <laughs> and mind numbing and terrible. Awful. Do you know? It's so. 
if you have a, ver- a significantly long commute, like something like that, an hour and a half in, an hour and a half out, so three hours of your day, and if you go from that to all of a sudden not having a commute, the level of happiness in that initial moment is the same as when you first fall in love. Oh, like that that level. Um, and I know that I heard about this, but I was again doing a big. I had an hour and a half long commute when I lived in America the first year or so, and then all of a sudden, like I moved to the San Francisco office, and I didn't have that commute, and it was fucking phenomenal. Does and that I like to joke with my girlfriend? It's like, oh, I know, I know what it's like to feel, <laughs> to feel like love. I'm in love. I was going to say <laughs> she did not like that. That was my that was building up to that joke. I was like, does that does that make this seem important, or does that diminish falling in love? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just the initial Baby, kind of like, <gasps> darling. Yeah. You're like not having to get on a bus for an hour and a half. At, <gasps> Do you mean at seven it? o'clock in the morning? Mm. And like that was super. That was that was like the pinnacle of commuting as well. That you were getting on. You were getting on those massive buses that like have oh, all man. the Wi-Fi and couches and foot massagers and all those things. <laughs> it was. I did not realize the the charged environment I was moving into when I moved to San Francisco oh, for that. So I moved they were to San Francisco. Then. Yeah, dude, it's crazy. The the I moved to San Francisco and then my office is down in Mountain View, um, which is down south, like sort of San Francisco Bay. If you're going all to the south of the bay, Mountain View's down right there. It's where Google's headquarters is and a lot of the, it's the heart of Silicon Valley. Um, but I didn't want to live in Silicon Valley because it's very boring. It's just all tech companies. There's no actual like culture as such. Um, so I lived in San Francisco and as did a lot of the, you know, thousands of people who worked in Silicon Valley, all, like a lot of them lived in San Francisco. So all the tech companies arranged buses because they have deep pockets. And these were like big, massive coaches with Wi-Fi and air conditioning. And they ended up clogging up all of the, you know, San Francisco's an old city. The streets are, a lot of streets are quite narrow and it's hard to get around, especially during traffic. And uh, the tech companies were seen as um, uh, an embodiment of gentrification that was really hurting certain members of the city. And so the buses were were um, kind of an icon of that. And so they were attacked. So like bricks thrown at them. And, um, and like, I'm not, I'm not, you know, the gentrification was a serious issue over there. I'm not condemning the people who were so angry that they felt they needed to obviously don't throw bricks at a moving vehicle that goes out saying, but I see where they were, their, their anger was coming from. Yeah. Um, but I remember getting off a bus on like my second week there, like young Richie, all wide eyed and innocent. And a man just shouting at me. He's like, he's, yeah. He, he said, why don't you fucking go back to where you came from Aww. or something like that? And I was like, what? Yeah. And I mean, yeah, that's that's the interesting modern contemporary flip side of what I was talking about when the white people fled mm. for the suburbs and abandoned the city centres. It's it's flipped on its head now. The uh, the offices are in the suburbs and people want to live in the cities and are pushing out mm. the people who used to live there and making it really expensive f- for the, 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 the people that were there before. So yeah. again, it goes back to the uh, Marxism. People who have power and capital are always able to fuck over the people who don't. Yeah, and manipulate the system to their own their own advantages their own needs yeah Yeah, i think we should talk about the idea of unpaid labor and feminism here yeah please so we've been talking about the idea of the salary the the jobs that you do for someone else and getting paid for but that Mm -hmm. is washing over a large part of society that do hard work but don't get recognized and paid for it and yeah critical essential absolutely necessary work the most obvious of which and i mean most people listening to this, I assume, because of the way it happens, the dynamics in most families, is that your mammy, your mammy mm. had to work for free to raise your lazy ass. Yeah, <laughs> that's doubly true for Mammy Nolan. God bless her. <laughs> yeah, if she was to, if she was to call in the amount of labor that she had to put into raising you, I just, you'd be broke for look, a long time. I wouldn't. Yeah. 
So, oh my god, we're not I, the jam from the the, the laundry costs of cleaning jam from my pockets <laughs> alone. Week in, week out, you just wouldn't take the hint. Um, <laughs> but I'm not like okay. I'm not saying that the responsibility lays on children for being born. <laughs> it's your fault. <laughs> um, it's it's rather that society needs to to be more aware and like we can't just be so capitalist capitalistically focused on the idea of profit making for someone else there's also the idea that like and even turning it around to the capitalist system basically companies and and capitalists are getting workers for free they're they are getting the next generation created and bred and given to them for free so that's when the idea that maybe we should start to support people more by like we have them we have like child allowances you have like the education system is largely public funded but there's all there's all sorts of other ways you can do it better maternity leave better paternity leave um, yeah and some introducing paternity leave for some people exactly, yeah. in the world yeah um like yeah it's awful i think it's it's gone up to 2 weeks this year in ireland or last year and even Jesus. at that it's still ridiculous like yeah. again them feckin' scandinavians they always figure out how to do it better than everyone else so they have like really good childcare systems so that if a, if a parent wishes to continue in a, in a job and want their kid taken care of when they're at the office or at work, they can drop the kid there and not have to worry about how, how much it costs or the quality of it because it's all publicly funded and very well looked after. Mm. But then I think equally, if a parent wants to be a stay-at-home parent, they will get subsidized by the state. So right. maybe we should start thinking about that. Maybe we should open up the idea of labor. It makes perfect sense because, again, like I say, it's a type of labor. It's incredibly important and valuable to society as a whole, and it should be recognized in a very tangible way, in the same way that other more capitalistic-centric forms of work are. I do also want to call call out because, like, the inner, um, I don't know, center right dad in me is like, but how much is that going to cost? <laughs> Shut up, Dad Steve. And the answer is a lot, but it's worth it. <laughs> it's worth so it let's, absolutely let's look it's into worth it. it let's put it on the list there's a lot of things that we do that cost a lot that aren't worth it so. like what war what is it good for well i mean yeah but ireland doesn't spend that much money on war so where are we going to get our money for it to get rid of the tv license what that brings in money <laughs> just dissolve yeah. i want it the i want to spend more money by mammies. taking in less money no we just divert it towards mammies Oh, a, the mammy, a, a mammy license. license. Uh, Look, it's important. We'll fi- we'll figure it out. Jumping back to the idea that working in an office is shit. There's this dude yeah. called David Graeber. He is a academic scholar, and I believe he calls himself an anarchist as well, which is a particular ideological stream that we haven't touched on properly. It doesn't just mean mm. Johnny Rotten, Sex Pistols, screaming about stuff and the men and all that. It's it's like an actual philosophical ideological take on politics that. Probably more people should understand and understand more. Um, anyway. And we should do an episode on We it. should, but it's really complicated. I'm afraid of it. Um, there is, he wrote a book recently called Bullshit Jobs. And the premise mm-hmm. of the book is, as it sounds, is that the majority of people out there in modern middle-class Western societies are working in jobs that they don't think should even exist. Right. So he, he uses an anecdote that he's at a party and he says, uh, he's having a conversation. Usually what you do when you talk to a stranger is, oh, what do you do? Yeah. So he would go, oh, I'm an academic and researcher. What do you do? And they're like, and then he goes, oh, after a few drinks, they're like, oh, I'm the divisional heads of Synergy for X Corporation. But it's it doesn't mean anything. I don't do anything. <laughs> Like yeah. I, I write a report, send it off to someone else. They write a report on my report. We have a meeting about the report and that's the week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so his point is that 
our system has developed to this this escape that people are just doing such monotonous bullshit jobs that don't mean anything and are are hurting people psychically <laughs> damaging their souls yeah. and not even helping the economy because he's, he's like this is just this just doesn't make any sense because the idea of a of a productive capitalist system is that why would someone pay you to do something that doesn't bring them profit but yeah. the system is has gotten out of hand so much that that is a large part of what's going on. So maybe mm. we should start looking at things like universal basic income to allow people to yes, not do as much please. bullshit work. Yeah. And, yeah. and you could then focus on, if you're supported, you could then maybe focus, not like the full huge working week, but some of your time maybe ease into more beneficial yeah, work. Exactly. That's more satisfying. Product. Like, yeah, productive. Like, yeah. It's like that idea of like from, remember Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, that planet that was, there was a planet that was reaching the end of its life and the humanity was trying to put all of its, its people onto a rocket to send it to a new planet. And they had two rockets, one with all the doctors <laughs> and scientists and engineers. And they were going off to like the good planet. And then unbeknownst to the people in their second rocket, the one we were invited they were to. filled with like... Yeah, the one that we would go into, literally they mention art directors, and like <laughs> marketers and and like just the like, you know, all those kind of bullshit jobs that mean nothing. And they go off and land on their own planet and it's no one can start a fire. There's they have a bunch of meetings about how do they like try and gather wood, but no one actually has any tangible skills. Yeah. So yeah, those are very two very I always think about those rockets when I think about my place in well, life. Like, can't we just like <laughs> develop an app and then that app can like <laughs> call someone in to start the fire and then like i can get this fire some amazing brand and then we can get like five percent <laughs> off off the top of that um yeah there's also yeah. the question of our robots coming to take our jobs again so we've mentioned the robots took our jobs when we stopped having to lift things which was nice because people don't have to yeah. die crippled 30 year olds that'd be that's lovely. i'm a grandpa i'm 28 i can't stand <laughs> up straight so now there's jo- now there are robots coming to take the bullshit jobs yeah. there are computer programs that can do lawyers jobs better than lawyers can do them. Like, I mean, my personal job is working in it for a big corporation and I I am overseeing things that are going to take my job away from me because it's getting better and it's, it's more trustworthy. It doesn't make silly mistakes like pressing the wrong button and Richie's suspicious. No, sorry. Kate is just sticking her head in the door. What's up dear? Oh, she just wants to say hi. Oh, Do you want to shout hi? No, she's shaking her head. Oh, well, I say hi. Steve says hi. <laughs> okay. Maybe she's having a, a beer morning instead of a coffee morning. <laughs> she's got the right um, idea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And like even, because uh, uh, we talked before, I'm a designer, art directory type. And a lot of my peers say, oh, you know, we won't be hurt by algorithms because we're creative snowflakes. And, you know, we're, you know, the spark of humanity. And it's not true. Bullshit. Not true at I all. I seen Hitler and it's Stalin just, singing yesterday. <laughs> Oh yeah, the like deep fake stuff. All like there's it. The thing is, the algorithm doesn't or the the software or the robot, whatever it is, doesn't need to replicate you perfectly in terms of like what you can do. It just needs to satisfy like a cost benefit equation. Like it just needs to be good enough or scalable enough. So like there are design platforms now. Uh, basic versions are getting more and more advanced where you drag and drop design elements or you type in what you want and it produces really lovely written copy that's like machine generated. There's just lots and lots of steps being taken now to make creative uh, tasks very easy for a non-creative person or for an algorithm. 
And yeah, I don't think there's very, all of these jobs that we're talking about in that second rocket are very, very much a risk from, from algorithms and robots. Yeah. And I mean, it's not to say that like necessarily they're going to make everybody redundant. I think if anything, people will probably still have lots of jobs. It'll just be even more bullshit jobs, even more bullshit here. So, I mean, maybe we should start asking what can politics and politicians do and policymakers to try and make this less shit. Universal basic income. We have an episode about that. Go and listen to it. Yeah, it's, I think it's the only, I think it's coming and I think it's probably the only way to, to stop, like to, to ease the mass unemployment that will gradually be happening. Many time guests of the show, Peter Kavanagh had a great addition to our Wadamtopia episode. He compared it to two possible futures from two very popular sci-fi franchises. You got the Star Trek future mm. and the Expanse future. You got the Expanse future where it's going the way it seems to be going and all the power is centralized and controlled by corporations and everyone else just gets like 20 grand a year to live shit lives on. Mm. Or you have the Star Trek future where there is no scarcity. Anybody can have what they want and the incentive is there to live good and fulfilling lives. Let's do that one. It's about whether, yeah, that one sounds good. It's about whether like all of these things that'll make production easier are for the benefit of humanity or they just cause a bigger class divide with the people who control them. Yeah which that's my fear, <laughs> you know, because history. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we haven't done well so far. Let's do it better next time. Yeah, exactly. One time, can we just do it right, please? No. Oh. <laughs> no. What, are you, what are you asking about, Steve? That's ridiculous. That'd be ridiculous. Shall we talk about COVID? We're kind of running a little bit over. Yeah, and how it's changed the nature of work and all that. Let's do it. Um, Again, the idea of everyone milling around on buses and trains and cars and carpooling and all that to go into work suddenly became potentially fatal yeah all of a sudden all of a sudden like literally on a wednesday in march (laughs) yeah it's insane isn't it worldwide well well look some places took a bit longer to get there and people died but yeah eventually we're there um yeah covid has changed things um i haven't been in the office since march lots of people haven't um obviously again the caveat here that many many people are considered essential workers so you have had yeah. to go into your supermarkets, your hospitals, um, people driving the buses and all that. And yeah. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the people who are doing perhaps the bullshittier jobs and have to stay at home yeah. working remotely. The soft boys like you and I. Yeah, exactly. And work has changed. I it has. think it's easier in that easier to, to put up with rather than easier to do. Oh my God. Yeah. Like we're not saying that new here, but like the idea that you had to commute, like in my commute when I was in London is, you know, getting on a really cramped tube, the Northern Line where you're like just people press up against you and people getting aggro and it's sweaty, hot and sweaty in the summer and in the winter still somehow hot and sweaty, but you're like inexplicably and uh, you have to deal with that and then yeah, struggle your way through an office queue up for your morning coffee for ages and you just did it because you're on autopilot and now I look out my window, last few weeks I've been working in the beautiful Irish countryside which just suits my soul. I can fill my pockets with as much berries and jam as I want yeah. in the evenings. Like, you know, you get, can sleep in a little bit longer. You used to get in trouble when you just grab them from Asda, but not no more. Not no more. Yeah. The bush is my new Asda. A lot of places seem to be really eager to get us back into the offices though. Div, oh my God. So th- there's this like big push in London now to get everyone back into central London from the government, it feels like, because central London, I think is really struggling. Like the... You did all the little, you know, coffee shops and lunch restaurants that spring up that are only open during business hours are really struggling. And not just that, but like m- retail as a concept has been severely damaged. Yeah. 
So Amazon's doing great though, so that's good for Jeff. <laughs> I'm, gl- I'm glad he's finally. Oh wow, to, that, to that'll sure help the world. I can't wait to see yeah, how that <laughs> how that works in the two streams of possible futures for humanity we got. Look, as soon as he reaches trillionaire status, then he's going to start just making it rain on us. Just you see, what, just you what is going to rain on us is what I'm wondering. Oh, piss, piss, he's going to piss on us. <laughs> From his gold helicopter. He's just been filling up those rockets just with piss. Uh, yeah, no, the, the push to get people back into central London. Did you see that ad I sent you? I did. And I don't know why it angered people so much. Were you angered by it? I was angered by okay. it. That was bullshit. Tell me. So I'll put it in the show notes, but it's it's a tweet here. Um, and it's one of the usual um, uh, London Underground ads while you're waiting on the tube platform and you're looking across at the wall. They have a bunch of ads there. And it's... An ad, I think it must, I don't see like a logo on it. It must be cropped off, but whether it's part of like a government initiative or whatever, but it's, it's like a manifesto where it's just, it's just all text. Um, and the aim of it is to make you nostalgic for when you used to be in an office environment and make you reminisce positively about it and make you want to go back to being in an office in central London. And it's this, hearing an alarm, putting on a tie, carrying a handbag, receptionists, caffeine filled air, taking a lift, seeing your second family, water cooler conversations, proper bants, the boss's jokes, plastic plants, office gossip, those weird carpets, face-to-face meetings, not having to make lunch, CCing, BCCing, accidentally replying all, hearing buzzwords, leaving early for a cheeky afternoon in the sun. Disinfect services we use throughout the day so we can all do it again tomorrow. The little things we do help to protect the little things we love. Keep protecting. Which, so... Like I said, this ad is clearly trying to make you go, oh, yeah, remember the office. Oh, yeah, I'd like to get back to that. But yes, I understand the social element of going into an office. And I understand some people don't have ideal work from home environments and like like kids and all those things. Again, you and I are in the perfect situation. We're a pair of soft boys. We don't have kids. We don't have any. we, We can reap the full benefits from this. So I fully respect that and recognize that that's where I'm coming from from this. But the way in which this ad goes about trying to make you nostalgic is fucking bullshit uh hearing an alarm that's awful (laughs) putting on a tie that's awful (laughs) carrying a handbag what receptionists you've just said receptionists caffeine filled air i okay granted i like coffee taking a lift get taking a lift getting into an elevator what seeing your second family fuck off (laughs) water cooler conversations awful proper bants get out of here the boss's jokes can't think of any worse they put in plastic plants do they not realize plastic plants are just like like the most negative icon you can have of an office it's fake it's 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 like a poor simulacrum of actual real life like it's a perfect metaphor for how bad the office environment can be yeah the imagery of plastic plants i i think you're just angry at it being a bad ad it is a bad ad now if you bear with me one second i will pull up um do you know monzo they're like um they're a fintech company like Revolution no. in the UK. No. Um, but they put up, when this kind of went viral, they put up their own ad. Of course they did. Because um, they're like, all like in, innovative and different, didn't they? <laughs> uh, they put up their own ad in the same kind of style and color and stuff. And they said, getting up later, wearing whatever's comfy, no awkward lift chats, no quote unquote bants, no fake laughing at bad jokes, seeing your first family. No fighting over the temperature, no drama, no water coolers in sight, working from bed, not getting stressed about your commute or the weather. An office isn't a home. Do what works best for you. Yeah. Which I thought was lovely. That is lovely. Because that should be the message. Do what's best for you. If you do need to go into an office and you could do so safely and in a way that doesn't put anyone at risk or you can mitigate the risk, 
then go for it. But if you can't, like if, if going into an office isn't right for you, if you're immunocompromised, if there's whatever, someone in your family who, who's who's not well or at, particularly at risk, or this is just better for your mental health and it's working out for you, then yeah, do that. I, yeah, I mean, you know, is, is the implication that the first ad is, is being shoved down our throats and we have to listen to it i think so yeah i think it's coming what what i what got me going is that it comes at a time when the uk government has pivoted towards this oh everyone should be going back to work everyone should be like bars's thing is like oh you should be going back to work should be business as usual um i think i mean i understand i don't agree with that sentiment but i do understand it like you were mentioning the 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 city center city centers have been devastated by covid and the change of what happened and change has costs so there are people that are going to lose their jobs, businesses that are going to close and a reshuffling of how things are organized is going to have to happen. Yeah. Politics and governments don't like that because it's hard and they're afraid they're yeah. going to get it Especially wrong. Especially when it's quick. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And yeah, even if it's slow, they just don't like it because they're going to get in trouble if they do it wrong. And they just would rather try and push things back to the way it was because that apparently used to work before in their eyes. So I do <laughs> understand why... They would want to put ads like that out there because, and then also like it is a public health message ad. You should, if you have to go into the office, sanitize your desk so you don't get sick. Yeah. But yeah, I do also understand why that would piss people off being like, but I don't mind the new way things are. It's working for me. Yeah. I think we just also have to go, but I do understand that other, it isn't working for everyone and there are costs. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's all, it's so bespoke for your situation. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess. I do think. Like you said, whatever works for you. But yeah, I, yeah, I do. I do feel for the people. I know a lot of people personally who've been like made redundant now from 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 because of all this. Yeah. So it does suck ass. I'm very lucky. We're very lucky to be in a situation where we can, just, you know, do our job. Like even if even if you and I were to lose our jobs like tomorrow, our skill set is such, or our careers are such that we could pursue another job where we would then work from home, as opposed to if you were, you know working as a frontline worker who would continue, you know, gets displaced and then has to go back into this environment again. Yeah. I mean, I'm really, <laughs> you made me feel really good about the prospect of being laid off there, but I also get like, ah, no, I need my work. I need my money. Yeah. Don't fire You'd me. Be fine. You'd be fine. Why are you, why are you lining me up to get laid off, Richie? <laughs> oh, you know, what? I'm your boss. Oh now. no. <laughs> Is that it? I feel like we sped through the, the effects of COVID, but I think everyone is keenly aware of the effects of COVID. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. And it was the prompt for this conversation. We we sped over a lot of things in this episode because we talked a lot of silliness, I mean, but I don't want to stop talk talking silliness. about silliness. I want us to have a final crescendo of silliness. I want yeah. you to tell me about your most hated office cliche. And I'm stealing your idea because I was afraid you were going to not use it because we had gone over too long. Oh, no. Yeah. No, no. This, this is my idea because I very much hate office cliches, but I've had to grit my teeth through them because... Like, especially when I live in America, they were everywhere. You don't want to be a prick. Yeah, you want to be a prick. You want to be like, so my my least favorite is um, people saying happy insert day. It's like, oh, happy Friday. Like, like it's a holiday. But particularly when they say Monday, oh, like happy Monday. Like Fuck. almost with like a, like a nod and a wing. Like, oh. Yeah, exactly. And it's, I hate it because it's like a bullshit opening salutation that's generic and doesn't like, I would much rather like, like a good old fashioned, Hey, how you doing? How was your or, weekend? Hey, what did you, what you get up? Yeah. What you get up? Like, like something that's really more personal, but something like the amount when I was in America, the amount of like happy Mondays I got. And one person in particular would just do it for any day of the week. So like, Oh, happy Wednesday. 
Why? Why is it and happy? I j- because they don't, they didn't know how to interact with humans and didn't know, like, how do you actually start a conversation? Uh, I also hate hump day. I heard a lot of hump days. I got that Wednesday. one completely wrong, actually, um, with my girlfriend and uh, arranging our... You thought it was a sex thing. I thought it was a sex thing. I always thought it was Did a sex you? thing. All my entire... I was joking. For years, I thought it was a sex thing. How? I don't know. It just, it's like, it's one of those idiocies that I, I'm capable of achieving. I just, for, forever, I thought Hump Day was a reference to some sex thing. And then I was, she, I think... We Did you te- feel like you were missing out on Hump Day? <laughs> no, I just thought it was a joke, like a cultural reference to some particular <laughs> movie or something that established the idea that there is a Hump Day once a year. <laughs> oh my God. And then it was a reference when I was talking to my girlfriend setting up like a second date. It was like, oh, uh, we maybe we should have met up on the Hump Day. It would have been a better way to relax or something like that. And then I was like, huh? I thought it was a sex thing. And then, no, it wasn't. Uh, it was a reference to it being the middle of the week and getting over yeah. the hump day. God damn it. Um, I've been trying to figure out now, when is my hump day on a four-day week? Is it like Wednesday mornings? It's up to you. I guess it depends when you're having sex. <laughs> so never. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I mean, uh, oh, you, every day. I mean, every day is hump day for Steve. What Do you have any office cliches that you hate? Uh, the mall. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> they're so bad. It's the worst, the worst type of cliches. I, office cliches. I don't necessarily hate the cliches because I can ignore them. I I hate the culture part, and I don't mean to be like it. it kind of it comes out as mean when I say it, but like the idea that we are a second family and stuff like that. Yeah, that bugs me. I mean, yes, there are people you meet in workplaces that can become friends, and quite often do become proper good friends. Yeah. But it shouldn't just be implied because you all, you happen to be six individuals who were hired to work in the same team that you're like a close-knit family and yeah. like social group because it's not true. Mm. If one of those people leave and go some work somewhere else, it's like more than likely you're not going to see them or talk to them again. Yeah. Whereas like, yeah. And like, obviously you, you, some people spend more time with work colleagues than they do with actual family, but. Yeah. I mean, you're spending eight hours a day minimum, a lot of time with these people. We also have to be aware that it is potentially very, um, what's the word, shallow, because it's work. Because mm. <laughs> yeah. the fact is you wouldn't be there if you weren't being paid to be there. <laughs> yeah, true. So take it with a pinch of salt. It's a part of this thing as well, and it's, it's very prevalent in tech companies. And there's yeah. a guy, I can't remember his name, who he used to work at HubSpot, and he wrote a book after he left. He was like an old school journalist who was sick of journalism, and he went to be a writer, a strategist or something in HubSpot. I got sick of that and went uh, back to being a journalist. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. Because, it, but he turns out he ha- he didn't sign like a non-disclosure or something. There was Clever. some they miss, and he ended up being able to write this book about like the cult of personality that kind of forms around these tech companies. And I know for being in them myself, the it has to be like when you go into it, um, it has to be more than a job. Like yeah. that's like Cit- part of the I mean, citizen if, of Google. Yeah, like it fits in with the the millennial mindset of you know oh it can't just be work you have to have meaning in it as well. But it's bullshit. Um, but yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, like, that's not to say you can't find meaning in work. That's fine. Like, you can find the the nugget that makes it more than just a job. But it's like the fact that it's the companies are defining themselves based on the fact that like they're maybe altruistic when they're not. Yeah. So there's like, if you've ever seen the sitcom Silicon Valley, yeah. there's like a joke in that at the start where every single tech company is saying, oh, we're going to change the world. We're changing the world. It's not like, oh, we're making a fun little app or we're doing a cool thing. It's like, no, we're changing the world. We're disrupting, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, and it's about, you know, they all have these pillars of, of ideals. You know, we're all about 
what was some of the ones I heard? Like open, honest, and constructive. So like we're all about transparency. Oh, we're all about humor and have these five pillars. Every tech company has like five pillars that they like are their per- company personality. And you have to like feed into them yourself. You have to be part of those personality traits and you have to, it's just this very kind of almost cultish way of yeah. getting people all in line. It's very similar patterns. But it's control. But yeah, it's so that you would all kind of feed into this one so that you stay there so that you're more productive so you're more invested in the company so that you'll work later that you'll answer emails on your weekends because they blurred lines between um work and and home time because they make work feel like home because there's beanbags whatever and yeah it's just it's just i got sucked into it very early on in my career and now i'm kind of waking up to it i have been waking up to over the last few years and realizing the benefit of real meaning comes from within yourself not from the job you do or what you put on your cv yes um you can be a happy person doing anything at all and you don't need to pull that from you don't you don't need to pull that from from your cv or from your job title i think the idea of the bullshit job as well and i mean i want to go back on myself for giving out about it and saying it's a terrible thing maybe it's a terrible thing because you have to do it for 40 hours a week with a one hour and a half commute on each time of it so you don't have time outside of that to have a good life but if we were to do it for three days a week and be able to earn enough, you could put up with that. Yeah, And you could absolutely. develop a well-meaning and good life somewhere else. And it doesn't have to be forced down your throat by whoever owns your company thinking that it'll make you more productive if they think that you're part of this family. When at the end of the day, you're not. And the company could be liquidated tomorrow if it's bought by somebody. Because like, That's it. let's stop pretending. These are jobs. You just do that yeah. to make money so you can go do better things. Yeah. Like uh, I, I've, we've talked before, like I've suffered from mental health and anxiety issues and stuff. And a lot of the time they were, tied to work um and but and part of that is because like you don't want to maybe you're afraid of letting people down or maybe you're afraid of you know like your place in the company or whatever but the, the the fact is it can masquerade as a family it can masquerade as like this altruistic entity but if you were to be hit by a bus tomorrow the system is such that there would be a job description probably up by the end of the week because they need to fill a certain business goal and exactly. they need to, and it would all just kind of like roll on. Not to say the individuals within it wouldn't be very sad, of course, especially if you've made friends there, but it's like, it is not a lovey-dovey, <laughs> big, soft, gushy thing. Oh, we're all here because we love each other. We love hanging out. We love doing this thing together. It's a little bit colder than that. Which is sad to say, which isn't to say you can't find warmth and friend. Of course, some people do genuinely need to have people they really enjoy working with to be able to work. That's, that's, absolutely. that's their personality. That's That's fine. And that's what, if that's how you need to get through the day, you can do it. But just don't buy into the idea that you can only get that from work because. Yeah. You can get it from, from anywhere from, see if you can get it from a podcast you do while drunk on coffee and 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 alcohol with your friend. Damn it, you didn't tell me you were going to Irish up your coffee. I would have done the same. <laughs> you put that whiskey in the coffee without me even noticing. I was one of the reasons I did this podcast early on was because I wasn't, like I was getting to a point in my career where I wasn't getting some of that satisfaction in work. And this was like a really good like avenue for getting those feelings. You don't anymore Again, that what kind you're of you're leading up to or... Sorry, you don't anymore. Is that what you're leading up to? No, I absolutely. <laughs> I'm starting another podcast. Every time I get antsy, I just start another podcast. <laughs> I need to have a spin-off podcast to survive the idea of yeah. the other one being labor. The drudgery, a capitalistic nature of what I'm politics. <laughs> no, I, I started this because, or like, I reached out to you about this and turning it into a podcast rather than just us having like weekly chats. We talking about politics in private because because we're not good you know, at it's doing an avenue. That. Yeah, because <laughs> it's just an avenue for like expression and getting like some meaning. Speaking of which, so you can find it anywhere. 
there's two two references. We have to hang up on this quickly because we are late for our D and D session with our buds. Oh my god! But then also, um, speaking of what on politics being a terrible capitalist shill, I want you out there, dear listener, to give us money. <laughs> <laughs> I want you because because Steve here at on Politics, we're one big family. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to actually be part of a family, give us money. Yeah, yeah, and together. We can change the world. Head on over to oneonpolitics.com forward slash beer to join us. Please, please. No, we're just going to buy beer with it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're running. We're running really late. At uh, oneonpolitics on Instagram, uh, oneonpolitics at gmail.com, at oneonpolitics on Twitter. Shoot us a message. What's your, what's your least favorite office cliche? How has COVID been affecting how you work? Are you a soft boy or girl like us? Or do you, do you have a proper job? Let us know how you've been affected. Yeah, of course. And please do tell us all the things that you think we were wrong about, about the nature of work. And if you have a really good job and want to tell us about that, do that. Yeah, that sounds great. I might try and steal it. All right, Steve, let's get our fantasy hats on. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.